What a great word. What a timely word for us. I mean, there's not anything to worry about in our lives, right? There you go. All right. You can be seated. This morning, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. Um, Kaziah Apple is a, she just finished her sophomore year at Trinity Bible College. She is the daughter of Pastor Mark and Jenny Apple, who are our Redfield uh, campus pastors. And so she is doing a ministry practicum. Um, basically, she's going to be with us over the next couple of weeks, and she's going to do different aspects of uh, pastoral ministry. She is studying for pastoral ministry. She also has an AA in business that she is taking, and so she is going to come today and just kind of introduce herself to you and uh, share a little bit of her journey uh, with the Lord with you. And so would you make her feel welcome as she comes out to share today? I just wanted to share a testimony with you uh, from my Texas Go trip. Um, on that trip, we did a lot of manual work for the ranchers there. They are making a pastor's retreat so that burnt out ministers can have a place to rest and have a safe haven. Um, lots of pastors end up going through a lot of ministry and burnout, and it's very helpful to have a safe space to be. We built a gazebo and a pathway and redid a porch, um, cleaned out stables. I helped cook a bit, um, did a lot, and just wanted to help pastors have a place to go. Um, so on this go trip, I have I felt like, okay, I'm going to be another background person on the trip, just unrecognized, whatever, because um, that's how I felt like growing up, doing any activities. Um, but on this trip, when we got there, the hosts were so welcoming, and they helped me feel welcome, just as welcoming to me as they did to anyone else on the trip. And to equally love everyone is such a skill to acquire on earth, I think. Um, and it's a skill that I hope to acquire in the future as well. So I wanted to talk about just feeling like you're in the background, you feel like the tree in the play or something, um, the last person chosen for like teams and PE, I don't know. Um, um, and the verse came to mind, Psalm 41 through two, I waited patiently for the Lord, he inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. So I just wanted everyone to have this message. Just know that you are ultimately not a background option. God has pulled you out of the miry clay, and through all the grossness, God shows you first. No matter how many times you fall, keep reaching for him. He is a consistency in your life, while others, no matter how much they love you or maybe don't love you, and they are not the true consistency, God is the true consistency in your life. Right. Thank you. And so you'll see her around doing. <laughs> Thanks, mom. <laughs> Proud mother right there. Um, and so you'll see her around over the next couple of weeks. She'll be doing some different things and uh, having some conversations with our staff, just getting 
her feet wet in pastoral ministry. And so um, I have been doing pastoral ministry for almost 23 years now. And uh, sometimes I feel like I'm still getting my feet wet in that. And interestingly, um, today we're going to be talking about um, a little bit about pastoral ministry or what the Bible says about pastoral ministry versus maybe what our culture says about pastoral ministry. And so if you have a Bible, we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 4, so you can turn there and get ready for that. But I want to kind of set up where we'll be going over the next couple of weeks. Last week, we were supposed to start a series um, where we wanted to talk about the vision of our church, the core values of our church. Why do we exist? As a church, and how do we intentionally make sure that we're doing what God put us here in here on South Dakota to do? And so, over the last several years, our leadership team has really uh, looked into the Word, spent some time fasting and praying, and trying to discover uh, who we are as a church. What does God have for us? What does the Bible actually say about a church and how a church should operate? And I want to clarify from the beginning. Um, we may, I may share some things today that are different than the way other churches view things, um, but that doesn't make us right and them wrong, and it doesn't make us wrong and them right. Um, there are many ways, I think, that God calls people or churches to operate and act because there are many different people that need to be reached for the kingdom. And so we have just done the best we can with our understanding of Scripture and how God has revealed Himself and His plan for creation, how He's revealed Himself for His plan for this world. And uh, we've tried to put that into practice the best that we can. And so I've shared a story with you before um, that I heard from Pastor Bill Johnson, and I'm going to share it again this morning. Uh, it's a story about a pastor who the church was in a building program, and he desperately wanted to help out. He wanted to do something to help build this new addition they were putting on the church. Uh, however, the pastor had absolutely no construction skills whatsoever. Um, somehow I relate to this story really well, and so it just sticks in my head. And uh, he, so they knew they couldn't put him in charge of something um, important. And so uh, the finally the, the guy came up with a plan that in order for the team to start early the next morning, there were a hundred two-by-fours that needed to be cut eight feet in length. And so the pastor said, yep, I can do that. I know how to, I can, I, I can do it. I'll take care of it. You guys go home and rest. And when you come in the morning, you'll be ready to start. So the pastor got his tape measure, measured the first two-by-four, okay, eight feet exactly, drew a line, cut it. But he thought in order to expedite this process, he was just going to take the board he had cut lay it on top of the next board, draw the line and cut, and then take that board and lay it on top and then draw the line, cut, and that would make the process go much faster. And that would have been fine had he maybe needed to cut two or three boards, but once he got to the hundredth board he cut, the problem of using the, the board that you cut as the standard and not the tape measure itself as the standard is the final board was over nine feet long. And so... What happens sometimes in churches, we kind of compare ourselves with what church has always been in our culture or what other churches are doing and not with the tape measure, the standard. And so sometimes we put value on things that aren't actually even in this book whatsoever or we try to do things in a way that the designer didn't design us to do them. 
And I believe some of the reason that we see so much pastoral burnout in our society today is because we try to do church in a way it was never designed to be done. And so as we look at the core values of our church or as we look at um, what church means, I want to start with that word church in your Bible. Um, the, the Greek word that is used in the New Testament where Jesus says, I will build my church, is the Greek word ekklesia. Now, that is not a, a, a Hebrew word. It's not an Aramaic word. It's not a word that was just a word for the Jewish people like tabernacle or temple or so many words that Jesus could have used in that moment. He actually chose a word from the Roman and Greek culture. And this word, ekklesia, is actually a word for an assembly that would be called together to exercise the authority or to vote on issues or in some way to promote the culture, the kingdom of whatever ecclesia they were a part of. So there would be an ecclesia of the Roman Empire that would come together in a local community to exercise the authority, much like a city council or a city commission. And the weird thing is, is that's the word Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 16 to talk about this church that he's building in our world. And if you remember, he says that wherever two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Right after he says he's going to build his church, he tells the, his disciples that the keys of the kingdom have been given to him. All authority is his, and he's bestowing that on this ecclesia, the church, the body of believers, in order to exercise his authority here on the earth. So the victory that Christ gained for God's will to be done on the earth as it is in heaven has been given to the ecclesia, the church. Today in our culture, we use that word church for just about everything. We use church for uh, a building. That church, that's not a, that's not a church. That's not an ecclesia, at least, the, I mean, culturally, yeah, it is. It's a church building. We talk about, hey, are you going to church on Sunday morning? That also is not what Jesus is talking about. And you, we may look at it and say, well, you know, it's not really a big deal if we, well, okay, yeah, the church is the people, it's the body of believers. But if we continue to use the word the wrong way, will we ever change the way we feel or think about what the church is actually called to do? And maybe it's time for us to be far more intentional when we talk about our Sunday morning gathering, we call it a worship service or a gathering of the church instead of church. When we talk about a building where the church meets together, maybe we refer to it as that so that we intentionally start actually being the church that he is trying to build here on this earth. And so that's kind of the, the things that we look at and talk about. And so we, we, we call ourselves Restoration Church. Restoration Church, and that comes from a passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians, and I know I turned, told you to go to Ephesians 4, and I promise I'll get there. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, the Apostle Paul writes this, Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, strive for full restoration, encourage one another, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Now this word restoration in some of your translations might be different. It may say strive for complete maturity. That word for restoration means prepare, complete, restore. Uh, in fact, we're going to talk about the other form 
the verb form of that word a little bit later in the service. This is the noun form, strive for full restoration. And so when we call ourselves Restoration Church, what we're committing to do as an ecclesia, as a gathering or as a body of believers, a local expression of that here in Huron, South Dakota, is we're committing to trust that Christ has transferred his kingdom authority onto us. And he has plans for not just our local body, but he has plans for the city of Huron. He has plans for the region, maybe the state of South Dakota, the region of the upper Midwest, the nation of America. He's got plans for our world and he's calling us to be a part of it in some way. And he wants us to fulfill the plan that he has for us. And so we're continuing to strive for full restoration. A part of that, if you notice the T-shirt that maybe Christina was wearing, on the back of that T-shirt, Restoration Church, is the verse from Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7, where God tells his people to work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I put you. See, sometimes we think that our job as Christians or the church is just, you know, to build our own little uh, place where we can worship together and hide from the world. But I believe this book says that God put his people, his ecclesia here in Huron, South Dakota to build the kingdom to do what he has in store or intended from the beginning for Huron, South Dakota. We're a part of that just as much as we're a part of trying to build a body of believers that mature in Christ. So it's bigger than just our little group that meets in this room. It's building what God has in store for this entire area. You may have noticed that our logo for our church is a table. You might think that's an odd logo for a church, and I would agree, that's an odd logo. But what the table represents, if you know that when Jesus came to the earth, he sat at a table with notorious sinners, with people that he should not have sat at a table with in Jewish culture. Because in Jewish culture, when you sit at a table with someone, it's a sign of acceptance of that person. And the Jews had come to a place where they did not feel they could accept or be with Gentiles. They had actually interpreted the law, the Torah, in such a way that they felt like they could not even have a part with the the people around them. Even though the Torah actually says that God's people were meant to be a light to all the nations of the world. That his original plan for his people was to be a people so set apart from the rest of the world, that other people would come to them and be drawn to God through the way they lived their lives. We know that didn't happen. Jesus came, made a a way for us to have direct access to God as individual believers, and he made an ecclesia, a group of people that could do his original mission for his people. And that's what the church is doing in these last days. And so when we, we talk about a table, we recognize as a church that we need to sit and converse. We need to, to accept people. We need a community. We need diversity. Acceptance does not mean approval of behavior. Okay, please hear this. We need to accept or value or see the dignity of people we even disagree with or people whose behavior contradicts Scripture. That does not mean they do not have a seat at the table of our lives because that's what Jesus modeled. 
He gave them dignity. He gave them honor. And he used that to bring influence into their lives. And people like Zacchaeus, where the religious people wouldn't have even had room for Zacchaeus at the table, Zacchaeus repents of all of his sin, and he begins to give back money that he took that wasn't his. And so there's this model that Jesus had for us, and as a church, that's what we're trying to model. This humility, this teachableness, this idea that you and I need more people at our table than just people who think like me or think like you. And so that's who we are as a church. And out of that came five core values. And that's what we're going to be talking about over the next five weeks. Now, our plan was to give them to you in order, but that plan got messed up when we couldn't meet last week. And so we're going to give them to you out of order. But the, the five of them are to reach the lost, to equip the saints, to abide in Christ, to plant churches, and to serve others. Okay, those are the five core values of our church, and we want to intentionally make sure that we live these out as a group of people, an ecclesia here in Huron, South Dakota. Now, we recognize that we're also a part of God's universal church, that he has other ecclesias in this community, and we work with them to build God's kingdom. We celebrate what they're doing, and we all do our part to build what God is building here in Huron, South Dakota. It just so happens that these core values actually are an acrostic that spell out the word REACH. That's a reminder to us that the results that we get, what we reap in our lives, will come from what we sow. So as a church, as an ecclesia, if we do not like the results that we are seeing in our church, we have to look at what we're sowing. And if we don't like the results that we we're seeing in our church, the first place we start is right within our circle. See, I can't control you. I can't tell you what to do, but I can control me. Sometimes I have a hard enough time without the help of the Holy Spirit. I can't control me, but... But I can be do what I need to do to make sure that I'm sowing what this church should be reaping. The same holds true for each and every one of us. And so as we walk through these, uh, different people are going to be sharing the different aspects of them. But today, I'm going to talk about equip the saints, equipping the saints. And this comes from Ephesians chapter 4. It comes from a lot of places in the scripture. But we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse number 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people or equip the saints for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So we'll become just like Him. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. 
Now, all of us who attend this church, I would hope, or are part of this church, see how easy it is, or are part of this body of believers, uh, I would hope that your desire is for us to be a body that is joined together by every supporting ligament, growing, building itself up in love as each part does its work. I hope that that's your desire for Restoration Church. And in order for that to happen, all of us at least have to make the responsible choice that we're going to do our part of the work as each part does its work. And so what what is our part? Where where do we find ourselves? How do we live this out in our daily lives? And I think that the Apostle Paul gives us that in these five callings that he lists for us at the beginning. And now, they're words that we're maybe not familiar with or don't know how to fully define. And in fact, I don't know that I know how to fully define them. And I've been studying passages like this for years. But this idea of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher are what we call the five-fold ministry or the five-fold calling of believers. The word apostle, the way I would define apostle would be someone who has a heart for the whole. Um, someone who has an ability to lead, to organize, to develop, to build, to pioneer, if you will, something in the, in, in, not in just the world, but in the kingdom of God, if, if, if I could describe it that way. That's how I define an apostle. How I would define an, a, a prophet would be someone who has a heart to want to hear from God. Now, that doesn't mean an apostle doesn't want to hear from God. It just means that the way that a prophet would be wired would be maybe an intuitive or a creative type of person that has this real desire to want to hear from God. Uh, They would have creative abilities. They would have a sense of rightness and timing. Uh, Sometimes tend to be black and white type of people. That that would be a, a prophetic person or a prophet. An evangelist would be someone who has a heart for harvest, Um, someone who would be very passionate, uh, intense, highly invigorating, someone who's persuasive. That's how I would define an evangelist. A pastor would be someone who has a heart for people, someone who loves people, wants to see people whole, wants to see people healed, compassionate, uh, very merciful. That would describe a pastor. A teacher would be someone who has a heart for truth. Someone who has an ability to research, present ideas, um, to teach. I mean, that's a word that we commonly use in our language. Now, for us, we in our church world today, we hire people and we call them all pastors. I don't think that's what the Bible does. I think the Bible tells every church to appoint elders in the body. And those elders that are appointed would be in one of these five categories. In fact, I believe every single member of the body of Christ would find themselves in one of these categories. Now, I don't believe the Scripture teaches that that means every single person should not have a job outside of church ministry. I believe that there are different callings that are we see actually in the Scripture. And so... We, in our world today, tend to divide our lives into sacred and secular. So, you know, we we have our devotion time in the morning, and then we go about the rest of our day. We have our ministry that we do at church, but then we have our our job or our 
our livelihood th- that we do. We, we divide our lives out into sacred and secular. We behave one way in one situation and another way in another situation. But I don't believe that, that Scripture ever gives us that divide. So when you have a calling that God puts on your life, whether that would be apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, or evangelist, whichever calling that God has for you, your vocation for life, your calling supersedes just what you get paid to do. And usually what you get paid to do fits within that calling. Look at some some scripture. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, look at what God says to Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as a prophet to the nations. In Psalm 139, verse 16, David writes, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, We are God's handiwork, we're the clay. All the, excuse me, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In Romans chapter 11, verse 29, it says that God's gifts and his call are irrevocable, meaning they can't be taken back. So God could have a calling on someone's life to be a pastor. That doesn't mean they should be hired by a church and gain their employment from that calling. Because there are ways that a pastor could serve outside of ecclesia as a counselor, as a psychologist, as a homemaker, as a receptionist, as a social worker, as a doctor, as some type of ministry that cares and shows compassion for people. So if God put a calling on your life as a pastor, He wants you to work within that calling all of your life within that calling. Not just what you do in church or in church ministry, but what you do to build His kingdom wherever you live. The same would hold true for an apostle. An apostle could serve as an architect, a designer, a developer, a CEO, a leader, a manager, administrative assistant. A prophet could serve as an inspirational speaker, a reformer, a social activist, an artist, an inventor, a journalist. An evangelist could be a great salesperson. They could be in marketing. They could be an advertising specialist, a motivational speaker. Because God doesn't have plans just for his body of believers. God has plans for Huron, South Dakota. And he wants to develop and build his kingdom in this city, in our state, in our nation, and around the world. By the way, God has plans for other nations of the world more than America. We're not his favorite child. Okay, he's got plans for everywhere and God may call you to up and leave this place and go to another part of the world, not to serve as a quote unquote missionary that just tells people about Jesus, but to work within your calling to serve in that place to build his kingdom. And as you do, people are going to hear about who he is and you're going to build the kingdom. But we have, I feel like in the church world, we've started cutting boards with boards and not tape measures. And so the way we have viewed church has trapped us into this mindset and the kingdom of God is not being built and a select few groups of people are being burned out and communities are not being reached for the kingdom of God. But every Sunday we hide ourselves in a little building and we consume stuff and we get goosebumps and we feel good about ourselves. But God has way more in store for his church than that. 
And that's what we want to be as a church. That's what equipping the saints is all about. But here's the thing. We, you can't equip someone who doesn't want to be equipped. So it starts with a desire to say, hey, I think the word says this. I need to be equipped. But as we equip others, we never stop being equipped ourselves. We're always being taught. The only way a body of Christ can be healthy, growing, and full of love in Ephesians chapter 4 is if there are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers within that body working together to equip one another for the works of service. And by the way, works of service is not clarified as just what we do on Sunday and Wednesday. It's what we do to build His kingdom wherever we are. And so as a church, that's our desire. Now, I'm just going to give you a couple scriptures to show you this idea of the elders being in the church. Because the Bible points out that there are elders in the church who are paid to do the work of eldership or leadership within the church. And there are elders in the church who are not paid. Galatians chapter 6, verse 6 says, Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. It's a provision in the scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. Elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. The Apostle Paul says here, when I was with you to the church in Corinth, I was not a burden to anyone. In other words, he didn't take any financial support from that church at all. He served as an apostle to that body, but he didn't take anything from them. He says, I kept myself from being a burden to you in any way, and I will continue to do so. So as we're discovering what God's calling is for our life, um, some of us are called to serve in what we call vocational full-time ministry. At one point in my life, I had planned to go to Shippensburg University and study um, political science and government. My desire was to be in politics. That was my dream job. Uh, looking back on it now and the way our culture is today, praise God, I chose a different path <laughs> because I don't know that I would want to be in that path today because we are way too hard on the people that serve us in politics. Um, we, we do not give grace and mercy anymore, and whether in the church or out. And so it's a, it's a thankless job, and it's just something that we need to repent of, especially as a church, that we give far more grace to those who serve us, and we honor them the way God's Word calls us to honor them. That's just a side note. Um, but somewhere along the line, well, let's just be honest. Okay, I got picked up for shoplifting, and I realized my life was spiraling out of control. And so I'm like, what am I supposed to do with my life? And all along, I had had people telling me, that uh, I was called to ministry. When I was in, in high school, I took my Bible to school. I led a, a Bible club at school. I preached on Wednesday night. My youth pastor let me preach sermons, and I put it together. And, um, and maybe I had a sense that there was a calling on my life, but I stubbornly wanted to be in politics. I wanted to be uh, an American history teacher, a government teacher. That's what I enjoyed, and I thrived on it. And so that's the path I wanted to take. But God got me to Trinity Bible College where I began to prepare for my calling. Now, I never felt called to be a pastor. I wanted to work with teenagers. I wanted to work with young people. I wanted to help them grow and develop. And um, I never really felt like that's what God called me into. But, you know, in our church culture, you're either a pastor or you're not. 
right? And so maybe I'm not a pastor. Maybe I'm one of these other ministries, but I serve in this role as an elder in a church that doesn't necessarily fit a certain type of mold. However, there are those in the Bible of Christ, in the body of Christ, that like the Apostle Paul told Timothy, Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. So I think the Apostle Paul could have gone to Timothy and Timothy, do the work of a pastor. You're an elder in the church. You can't just say, well, that's not my gifting. That's not my calling. I don't have to do that part because this is what I am. Um, As Westerners, we like to put everybody in these nice little flow charts. Uh, People don't go into flow charts. Okay, so even as we look at apostle, prophet, everyone's everyone in the room right now is thinking, which one am I? You might be more than one and you might be one that overlaps another and you might be a pastor, but you also have a prophetic insight that's a little bit different. And so it's not necessarily about being able to define it and put yourself in a little box somewhere, but it's understanding that there's a calling on your life that goes further than maybe we've thought before. And God needs each and every one of us in Restoration Church to understand that, to accept it, to yield to it, to be equipped by one another in the body of Christ. And by the way, that can't happen just because we spend an hour in this room together every Sunday. If that's all we're going to do, that's not going to equip you and you're not going to be able to equip those in this body that need you. We need to work together to build what God wants to build in Restoration Church and in Huron, South Dakota. And so as I've grown, I applied for credentials with the Assemblies of God because I wanted a covering. I wanted a group of people that are my leaders that say, hey, we recognize there's a call on your life for this and that that this is what God's leading you into. And so they gave me a license to preach. They gave me a license so that I could perform wedding ceremonies, so that I could have the backing of the Assemblies of God to do that. And then two years later, I applied for what was called ordination. Ordination in the scripture is where the elders of a church lay their hands on elders in the church and they appoint them as leaders in the church. And so after two years of serving in ministry, those elders in the Assemblies of God in South Dakota watched my life and said, now we also confirm and recognize that that's a calling that's on your life. And so they laid hands on me and prayed and said, There, go into ministry. But I guarantee you, 20 years later, I am still growing in my calling. What God has for me, the understanding of how to live that out. And I use other members of the body of Christ to help me grow in that same way. We need each other. So in the scripture, like 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22 says, Never be in a hurry about appointing a church leader. We're actually warned in the scripture to test those that say they want to be an elder in the church. Because just because you have a calling on your life to be a pastor, to be a prophet, there are self-appointed prophets in the scripture. You can have a calling, but you still have to submit to the elders that are established in a church so they can see the fruit, the maturity, the growth, the humility in your life, and then they can lay their hands and agree upon that and they can, God somehow in that way takes his spirit and he puts it on those leaders the same way that he did all the way back in the book of Numbers with Moses and the 70 elders. God is a God that does not change. 
Now, some of you are looking at me like I have gone off the deep end and you're just totally overwhelmed right now and you're like, oh my goodness, I don't think. But I promise you, there are some of you that have been sitting in a seat Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and God has designed something for you far greater than what you have realized in your past. And I guarantee you that if you take a step of faith into it, it's going to be a scary step. It's going to be a difficult step, but it will become the most fulfilling step you could possibly take because he is the potter and you are the clay and he is forming you as he sees best. And he's got something in store for you. And it may not look like what you thought it should look like. It may be totally different than that. And we celebrate that type of diversity here. Uh, I tell you, it scares me to death to do things like that. I am uh, a planner by nature. I like to have every little thing in its little box. That's just who I am. But God has called me into something that's beyond that. And to realize and recognize that the body of Christ or the church, the design that he has for it, is far greater than anything we've ever known before. Um, one scripture I forgot to read, but let's throw it up. First Timothy 3.6, a church leader must not be a new believer because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall. Again, just that idea that all of us are still growing in our callings, in our workings. And so there are some of you in this room that could pursue ministerial credentials with the assemblies of God and never take a job and be paid for full-time ministry. Yeah, that could be your calling. And the only way you're going to find it is, one, to seek the Lord because he's the giver of the calling. And two, work with the rest of the body of Christ to be equipped into your calling. None of us is an island. The church is a living organism. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 through 5. Look at what the Apostle Paul says. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. How, do, how could we do that? Well, we could do that by saying, well, pastor, I hear what you're saying, but, you know, I'm just I'm content to just show up on Sunday morning, be here for an hour and then just go home and live my life. That might be thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. Because there's you're not listening to what the father has for you and the other people in this room who need you to step into your calling. There are some people in this room today that will not mature and grow if you do not step into the calling that God has for you. I can't do it. I cannot be all five of these callings in our body. And I can't hire five, four other people to be these callings either. In fact, I don't want to because I don't believe that's what this calls for. And so I want to lean into what God is asking for us. Now, that doesn't mean I want to overwhelm anyone and put more on you than you can handle. I don't think God wants that either. But it is going to require steps of faith and sacrifice on our behalf. So rather, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many parts, many members, these members don't have the same function. So in Christ, though many, we form one body and each member belongs to all the others. 
See, the body of Christ, if you ever noticed that they call each other brothers and sisters, that they talk about spiritual fathers, that they say to the older women to train the younger to be like a mothering figure, the family of God. Sometimes when we start talking about callings, and we, we, I alluded to this earlier, well, that's not my gifting, so I'm not going to do that. I don't know if any of you have ever tried this in your house, um, but if you're your spouse or maybe your your parent says, hey, would you uh, would you throw the laundry in? Oh, I'm sorry. Laundry's not my calling. <laughs> how how would that go over? Husbands, your wife today says, hey, could you throw a load of laundry in? Uh, sorry, dear. Laundry's not my calling. It's not my gifting. So we understand that we have callings. We have giftings. But sometimes in a family, we do it not because it's my gifting or my calling, because someone needs to peel the potatoes today. Somebody needs to clean the toilet. It's not my calling. It's not my gifting. But I can do it. And so in the family, I do it. And that's a sense of what the body of Christ is called to be. And so if there's a need that I can fill, even though I'm not going to be doing it long term, this isn't my calling, but today I'll do it because I can and because I care about the other people that are a part of this body. Ephesians 2.19. So you Gentiles, those are the non-Jews, are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. I want to take just a few minutes and talk about one last passage of Scripture that sometimes gets pulled into this discussion on giftings and callings. Um, and I think gets confused there when it comes to gifts in the body of Christ, when you start looking for your gifting or your calling, there are three go to passages. One is Ephesians chapter four that we looked at. One is Romans chapter 12. We looked at part of Romans chapter 12, but then that list goes on. And um, Paul doesn't give an exhaustive list of giftings or services in the church, but there are some listed there. And then one is found in first Corinthians chapter 12, verses seven through 11. And. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 11, um, sometimes are called the gifts of the Spirit. And I do not like that word there because that word no, never appears in the original text. What the translators have done is to help us have handles on it. We've called them gifts. And so what we've done with the gifts that are listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and they're, they're gifts like... Um, Gifts of faith, gifts of healing, gifts of miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, speaking in tongues, interpretations of tongues. We're, we have developed uh, this mindset that those are giftings that only certain people have. Um, and so, uh, well, that's not my gifting. I don't have that. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, some translations will translate this. Brothers and sisters, uh, regarding your question about spiritual gifts... But that word gifts is actually not in there. What's, what's in there is the things pertaining or the special abilities that the Spirit gives. I do not want you to misunderstand this. And then when Paul goes on to talk about the, what we sometimes translate gifts, he actually is using a Greek word called manifestation. It's the manifestation of the Spirit. And so what is happening in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is what we at Restoration Church refer to as Spirit-filled or being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And as a result of that, when you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're yielding yourself to the Holy Spirit in a way that gifts of prophecy, gifts of words of knowledge, gifts of 
wisdom could operate as the Spirit wills, not as you will. It's not like I can say, oh, I have a gift of healing, and so I'm just going to go around and I'm going to lay hands on everybody. I'm going to go clear out HRMC today. No, that's not how that works, okay? It just means I'm a vessel. I have the Spirit of God living in me, and I have yielded myself to Him in a way that He could prompt me to speak to someone who is sick to be healed. That's a gift of healing. It's not the prayer for the sick for them to be healed. It's a declaration. It happens in Acts chapter 4 when, or 3 when Peter and John are on the way to the temple to pray. And Peter looks at a man that's begging and says, I don't have silver or gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, stand and walk. He didn't pull oil out and anoint him with oil and call the disciples together and say, hey, let's pray for this guy. He spoke. It was a gift of healing, and he didn't do it because he felt like doing it. He was prompted by the Holy Spirit in that moment to do that. And so what Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, and I hate the fact that this is a tag on the end of a sermon, but I want you as Restoration Church to believe that God wants to baptize us with His Spirit, and these gifts could operate in our lives, whether in a worship service, in a prayer gathering, over Zoom, or in your workplace. You can get a word of knowledge. You could see a picture, and you could have a conversation with someone and say, hey, I don't know if this means anything to you, but I see a picture of a green door right now. And they might look at you and say, I have no idea what that means. Or they might look at you and tears might start to form in their eyes. And they say, yeah, I lost my grandmother last year. And she had this really cool green door that you just described in her house. And, I, uh, and it gives you an open door for you to begin to minister to them and to share with them. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And you don't have to be a prophet or an apostle or a pastor to have those operate. You have to be a believer who yields yourself fully to the Holy Spirit. That's it. And so we're going to talk more about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I feel like I, I know that you feel like you're drinking from a fire hose today because I just threw a lot of stuff at you. But let me just say this. If you're like, man, I'd love to know more about this. Uh, there's this really cool invention. I don't have mine with me. It's called a phone. Man, pick it up. Give me a call. Send me a text. Send me a Facebook message. Send me an email. Get on Slack. Say, hey, could we have coffee sometime and let's talk about this? Or... I might put you in touch with one of our other great leaders in our church because we've got some amazing ones. And they can help you. They can walk through this with you. They can teach you some things. You can teach them some things. And together, we can all equip and be equipped by each other and walk this out. And we're going to talk more about this later in the summer. We're going to have other things uh, on other nights of the week to kind of share some more things. And so today, I was just hoping to maybe blow up your mindset of what could be and hopefully excite you for what God has in store for you. And so let's pray. Father, thank you for the plans that you have for each and every one of our lives. God, thank you that in this room right now, there are apostles, there are prophets, there's evangelists, there are pastors, there's teachers. God, there are people here today that you have fitted in such a way so that this body can fulfill the plans you have for it, not just in Huron, South Dakota, but in Redfield, South Dakota, in other communities around us, in our state, in our region, in our nation, around the world. God, who knows what is possible 
with the type of technology that we have and the, the types of things that are happening right now in our world. God, we just want to be a part of what you're doing. We want to put ourselves on that potter's wheel today and say, maybe we were, uh, we were cutting boards without the tape measure. And so today, Holy Spirit, we just want you to have your way in our lives. God, I pray for each person today to begin to understand the calling that you've placed on their lives. For those that you want to call into full-time vocational ministry, God, begin to stir their hearts. For those that maybe you want to, to move from Huron, from America to another part of the world and serve as a global partner, God, I, be, I pray begin to stir their hearts. God, I even pray for our children today in another room. They don't even have to be in this room, but their parents are in this room. And so, God, take this message, this word, and use it. I pray that you would plant in parents' hearts today the dreams, the desires, the callings that you have for their, their children so they can pray over them and speak over them and bless them in your name. And so, God, we as a church want to be equipped and we want to equip one another. And so, Holy Spirit, help us to fulfill that calling in greater ways in the days ahead, the months ahead, and the years ahead, I pray. In Jesus' name. Oh, so glad you guys were all able to uh, join us here today, join us online. Uh, we're so thankful that you are here today. Uh, my greatest takeaway from this morning is, in what ways do I still need to be equipped? And how does God want to use me to help equip others? And so that's what I'll be praying into uh, over this next week. I would encourage you guys to do the same. And uh, if today is your first time with us uh, as a guest, we